Thank you, everyone. Please take your seats. It's good to be with you today. I can't really see many of you back there, but I guess I'll trust that you're still listening, hey? Oh, well, thank you, Jesus. What a, an amazing morning already. Jesus has been lifted up. His name has been glorified in our midst. And there's something about coming together when we lift up and magnify the name of Jesus that our circumstances begin to change as individuals and, and corporately together as a church family. There are endless possibilities when we lift up and magnify the name of Jesus above all our own circumstances, above our, our own problems. So we thank you, Jesus, that you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, would you continue your word in us, your work in us, that you would take us on that journey of transformation more and more into your heart for this church family and for this city and for this region, Lord, and for the, the, this nation and the nations, because it's all into a purpose, Jesus, that your name would be lifted up and you would draw all men and all women and all families and all businesses and all social problems into your name and your goodness. So we exalt you today. Well, I'm going to be focusing on a main text this morning from Hebrews 6, 13 to 15. If we could just pull that up, please, um, back there, if you want to turn to it. Can we just have a few house lights so people can read Bibles and whatnot? Is that okay? Thank you. Okay, let there be light. <laughs> but when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. This is an account in Hebrews of, of Moses' life, that he is our father of the faith. He's, he's the one that God did amazing things through him and multiplied his generation through his wife, who we know was old and was barren. And the Lord made a promise to him and, and showed him the stars in the sky. And he says, I will multiply you and your descendants more numerous than the stars. What a massive promise. What an incredible word to be given when you've not even had one baby. And so often the promise is like a seed to us that with the conditions of the Holy Spirit and us participating with his plans and purposes, he was multiplied. And we're not going to go into the depth of the story of Abraham, but we, we know that he was told to leave his land and go to a land that God would show him. That was part of the word. And so there was, a, there was a stepping out of obedience, but there was a promise with that stepping out. And so often that's what it's like with us in our life, that as we step out, the promise of God goes before us and goes with us. And all those words that God has spoken to us and confirmed in our heart through prophets and different family members, friends, we step out and God fulfills the promise. 
But God has always had a plan that he would not only bless us as we go and follow his voice and his leading, but he will surely multiply us. And so often we don't see the multiplying effect because we sometimes seem like Abraham and Sarah that are not pregnant yet, have never had a baby, we're too old, we're too far gone. We make all these excuses in our minds, but God doesn't look at those things in our life. He looks at our heart and he says, if, if I can just find one that says yes to me, then I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. So it's a promise, a big promise with great conditions, actually, great benefits to saying yes to God. So his intent from the beginning of time, and he spoke this through Adam and Eve, that he would bless them. And it says that in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, that after he created them in his own image, God blessed them. Do you know the hand of blessing on your life? Do you know God's hand on your life? I think somebody spoke to us about that recently, that, you know, we should never do anything with that, the hand of God on our lives, that we seek his hand, on his hand of blessing in everything we do. But God, not only did he bless them after he created this amazing world for them before the fall, he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. God created them with a mandate, a mandate not only to be blessed, but to be fruitful and multiply and rule the world that he's, he'd gave, given them to rule through the Garden of Eden. And we know what happened to that story, that they disobeyed the voice of God and took life in their own, into their own hands and it went in a different direction. But you see, the creator God, when he created each of us so fearfully and wonderfully, as it describes in one, Psalm 139, that he knit us together and all the days ordained for us were written in his book before any of them have come to be. So the seed, the DNA of blessing and multiplication has been given to each of us who believe that and receive it and just say, yes, God. And maybe, you know, your life hasn't necessarily been one where you felt that there's been blessing and there's been multiplication fully yet. But you know, you were created for that. And we are going to just Take a journey where we begin to align ourselves with the promises of God again for our life so that we know that in all things, as we step with him, we walk with him, that he surely will bless and multiply us. And we have a living testimony of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. When Duncan and I were married, we sang that lovely hymn that we sang this morning, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I was just... Reviewing the words, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And we would never have imagined how much God was going to multiply our influence, our gifting, 
multiply the places that we were going to live. We had no clue. It was a promise. And, and when we were prayed for at our wedding, our pastor Derek from our home church back in Nottinghamshire in England, he gave us a bag of seeds. Okay, how many prophetic people in here, right? Prophetic symbolism. Symbolism. He says, I want to give you this packet of seeds. And we're like, oh, great. We, we can go and plant those in our garden somewhere. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm going to, that these seeds represent the harvest and the multiplication that God is going to do in your life. It was part of the mandate. Amen. And I think God wanted us to know that, to hear that right from the beginning of our marriage, that our life as a couple would not only be blessed by the hand of God, but would be multiplied as we offer ourselves to Jesus and walk with him on a daily basis. And that's what the Father wants to do in each of you. He wants to reconnect you with that original DNA that he said, not only will I bless you and give you a blessing as a father, I will multiply you if you let me do it through you. And that's his promise. Even God spoke to Noah and his sons. You know, that great, amazing feat of building the ark. He said, he said to him, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. You see, this is not just for the fathers of the faith. This is the word of God that's still living and active to each of us that receive that and believe. God keeps saying it. And when he says it many times to many people, we need to take notice. Because we can put our own name. And God spoke to Kate and said, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Wow. Why don't you just put your name right there now? Be fruitful. So say your name. Be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. Amen. I know some of you are going to need to say that a few times as we move on, but that's good. You see, Jesus understood the covenantal blessing of Abraham. Jesus understood it himself. He came from the Father. He came to earth. He was blessed by his father. We know he was here for a reason on the earth. And at the beginning of his ministry, he was blessed. Yes. In his baptism, the audible voice of the father came from heaven. A dove ascended, descended even. I get those words mixed up. Anyone else in the room? Why don't we just say up and down? (laughs) Keep English simple. And the Holy Spirit descended in a form of a dove and an audible voice says, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. See, the blessing of God has to be on our lives. It has to be like Jesus that we receive that blessing for our own lives. And some of us who have not had representations of a good father have not necessarily received a father's blessing. And in the Jewish culture, when a a child is about 13 years old, they are blessed. Hands are laid on them and they are blessed. And we 
did this with each of our girls at 13, that pivotal age that we as parents and, and friends and family members would get together and we, we prayed a blessing on our children that God would prosper them, that God would multiply them, that God would lead them into the fullness of his calling in whatever sphere of education or career or ministry that they were called into. And you see, until we receive that blessing, we don't necessarily understand our function and our purpose and our destiny that flows out of that blessing, which is always to, to multiply and to prosper us, for us to be the head and not the tail. So Jesus received that at the beginning of his baptism, but he knew that his mission and his mandate was the salvation of all mankind, that he willingly laid his life down at the cross because he had a higher purpose. He knew that he was going to bring many sons to glory through his sacrifice. And so he was very focused on that. And he was also very determined that his mandate and mission would continue to live on through many sons and daughters, including all of us here who've said yes to Jesus. You see, Jesus wasn't focused alone on himself. He could never have done that because he would never have come from heaven, come in the form of a, a man and lived on the earth and then gave his life up, willingly offered himself as a sacrifice for all our sin, for the sin of all mankind who chooses him, receives it by faith. But he was determined that when he lived his life on, on the earth, that his mission of this relationship and his kingdom that was increasing would be multiplied through his disciples. And Jesus multiplied himself by not only spending time with the crowds, but began to call his 12. And he, then he began to, from that group of 12, even had a closer input with Peter, James, and John. You see, Jesus knew he was blessed to be a blessing to others. It wasn't for himself alone. He did everything for the betterment of others. He healed the sick and he did miracles. He healed all that came to him. He multiplied food. He turned water into wine at a wedding. He raised the dead, he cast out demons, and he stopped for the one that came in front of him. It was a life of preferring others in order that the message of salvation, total healing, salvation, that word sozo, which is um, just physical, spiritual, and everything else, everything of the soul. Jesus was intentional to narrow down his influence to those that were around him. You see, we, we know that the crowds wanted to follow him. They were pressing in. And you see, Jesus had many followers, didn't he? He had many followers that were just like faces in the crowd. You know, how do you connect with a whole group of followers? And, you know, we're in a, 
we're in a, an age and a time where, you know, the more followers we've got on social media, the more important we feel, the, the more um, maybe we feel that we're reaching more people that way. And in some respects, yes, but it's a very distant kind of laying down your life for, for people. You see, Jesus would do miracles and the crowds would just keep pressing in. And, and it was after he'd, he did some really cool miracles. He healed paralytics and delivered those that were having seizures. You see, everybody was wowed by his power. But Jesus himself didn't take that for his own glory and think, wow, I've, I can make a name for myself now. He actually intentionally withdrew from the crowds because he needed to be with his father. He needed to remain centered to his call and his mission on the earth. And he knew that he could only do it by teaching a few, by imparting to a few over many hours and three years of his life. He knew it was going to take time. He knew that he could only influence a crowd as big as this room by teaching like this, like I'm doing with you today. But he knew that the real power would be created if he taught a few men and multiplied himself through those people that he chose, those disciples. And so we know he chose very ordinary people, didn't he? Um, the account in the Gospels goes on um, in John. He said he, this, the reading says that while he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He was walking along the Sea of Galilee. And what did he do? He went up to them and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He actually intentionally went over to these two brothers who were fishing, who were in their normal living, in their lifestyle of doing their job, feeding their families. And, and Jesus says, come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I mean, they probably didn't really understand what, what was really happening. But Jesus had a, a point. He had a word to them that was very appropriate for their lifestyle. You see, they knew what fishing was about. They knew that there was skill, that there was precision, that there was a lot of hours dedicated to fishing. And so when Jesus, Jesus piqued their interest by saying, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And that's what he does to us. He, he comes to us in our situation and he speaks a language that we're going to hear him by. And these two brothers heard him because it said immediately... They left the boat and their father, and they followed him. You see, Jesus was compelling them to come. There was something about the way that he approached them with the Spirit of God fully within him, calling them out into something that was bigger than themselves. And that's what, that's what life is for us to live like. And they th spent three years with Jesus. We know all the 12 that were with him. And Jesus gave of his time. They shared life together. They walked together. They spent hours eating meals. 
sleeping in the same place, walking around all the villages, preaching and teaching the kingdom. You know what happens when you hang out with people, for a, even for a missions trip. We've got a missions trip coming up with the women, the She Gathers missions trip, that Rochelle, Rochelle, give everyone a wave. We had a wonderful meeting yesterday. Wonderful meeting. And about 70 women turned up. It was wonderful. So if, if you want to come next time, get on board. But there's something about when we do a missions trip together, even a week or two weeks, we get very close very quickly, right? Can you imagine Jesus lived and shared life with 12 people? They got to know each other very quickly. They saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. They, Jesus saw it all, didn't he? He wasn't phased by that. He, you know, the bickering, the sibling rivalry, who's the greatest in your kingdom, all those things that we kind of struggle with in our own heart. You know, but Jesus gave of himself. He, he spent time. They went to people's homes. They ate food that was prepared for them. They did life together. When we spend life with people, we realize they're not perfect. But we realize that God who's in them is greater than our imperfections. You see, Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no man than he lay down his life for his friends. You see, Jesus did that already. He did that not only for the, the crowds. He did it for his 12 disciples. And he did it because he knew he was investing. He was sowing seeds that had the potential to multiply each of those individuals. And you see, when we look at our lives as like a sower of seeds into people's lives, we begin to realize the value of time spent with people. We begin to realize the importance of loving the one in front of us and giving of ourselves, sharing our lives, sharing our bread, sharing our homes, having meals together, having coffee together, understanding our frailties and our weaknesses and our struggles. Because in that, there is a purpose. There is a purpose that you are imparting seeds that will grow and multiply in each of those people. And that's a challenge to all of us today, that we are otherly focused enough to realize that life is bigger than my circumstances, my family, my needs. You know, the rugged individualism that we, we all struggle with, which is counterculture to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven says, how can I prefer you and your needs to me and my needs? You see, are we intentionally reducing our reach to a few good men and a few good women? Accepting that the 500 people in this room, we can't pastor. Duncan and I, Murray and Ash, can't pastor each of you. We can't disciple each of you. 
Because that's not the way that Jesus did it anyway, did he? There's no way that I can sit and have a coffee or a meal with each of you every week. It'd be crazy, wouldn't it? And I'd be so stuffed up and bloated. I'd, I'd spend the next two years exercising and seeing nobody. But you see, we can't do it without each other. Because in this room, each of us are looking for a connection point with someone or some few. And so together, we can not only connect every person in this room, but we can begin to focus on how we connect with our neighbors and our colleagues at work and those that we meet that we know are in need in our communities. But who are, our, who are our those 12 people that are in our sphere right now? Who is in your sphere? You know, many of you spend many hours at work, so I would say that some of those people are in your workplace. Some of them are your clients. Some of them are the people that you see when you go down to um, your appointments at the doctor's office. Some of them are just people that you've connected with through different meetings or ministries that you've been part of while you've been here at Catch the Fire. But break it down a little bit further. Who are your three and four in this congregation that you have a connection point with? Somebody that has got the ability to know you and see you and for you not to be ashamed of who you are before that person. I'm so thankful for people like John and Carolina in my life that I've been able to go to. I'm thankful for friends in this congregation that I can do that with. I'm thankful to have a team like Murray and Ash and JT and Kathy that, and the wider senior team. But each of us need to have an opportunity to be able to share our hearts so that we feel safe and we can move on with God, but also where we can pour out and pour into others. And we had a motto in Toronto for our church, and, and, and it, if any of you have ever been there, there's a, there's a sign at the back of the auditorium that says, walking in God's love and giving it away to Toronto and the world. Because until we walk in God's love... We don't give it away to others. But the mandate is that we need to keep giving it away. As Michael was saying earlier, Jesus had said, freely you've received, freely give. And Timothy had a word, had a, a word from um, Paul. When Paul, when Paul was... In prison, he was writing to Timothy in his final letter, in 2 Timothy. Remember, Paul has written all the letters, many of the letters in the New Testament, and he, they've been like love letters to the churches and to some of his leaders. And one of the things he says to Timothy is, in Timothy 2.2, the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. 
And in the Passion Translation, it breaks it down a little bit more. Timothy, my dear son, live your life empowered by God's free-flowing grace, which is your true strength, found in the anointing of Jesus and in your, new, in your union with him. Because Paul said to the Corinthians before that, he said, be an imitator of me as I imitate Christ. And many of us get stuck with that. How can you imitate me? I know my weaknesses. I know my faults. I'm not perfect. I'm still changing. I'm still being transformed. But Paul somehow, amidst his humanity, was able to say to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see, God is looking for you to say to those two or three those 10, those 12 around you, come follow me and imitate what I've already learned. The grace that has been flowing in my life, I want to impart to you. We're not saying, come and follow me because I'm Miss Perfect and you need to be like me because I'm perfect. We're saying, imitate Christ in me, who is the hope of glory. Don't look at the package necessarily look at what the grace of God that flows from my life. And if we can understand that Christ in us is the true hope of glory and the riches within us, we'll not think we're disqualified from helping anyone. Because it's part of that walking in God's love, walking in God's grace and giving it away, even if you're one step ahead of the person that you're giving that to. Each of us are one step ahead of somebody else in this room. And I just want to encourage each of us. You have got something to give because the grace of God on your life, the freedom and the transformation that's happened in your life is available to help somebody else. You are never disqualified when you're in Christ Jesus. No one is disqualified You may learn and make some mistakes along the way, but hey, the real treasure is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's so many great stories in your life and testimonies of God's grace that need sharing. I'm just blown away by the testimonies in this church family of God transforming lives, putting marriages back together, of healing bodies and minds and souls and doing only what God can do. You see, those stories have the power to reproduce as you tell them. And so if you can't do anything else but just to offer your testimony and say, look what God did for me, he can do that for you. It doesn't need to be a massive discipleship program necessarily Although at Catch the Fire, we've got a whole lot of training and Ignite groups that will help you with all those things. But it just takes a willingness to to look for the threes and the fours around you that you can connect with. And be unashamed to be on a discipleship journey with them. Just as you allow others to be on a discipleship journey with you. No one... No one is missed out in any direction. 
So Timothy received this blessing from a spiritual father and says, everything I've given to you. Entrust a few good men, faithful men. And I'm going to add women because that's what we do often in Scripture. The context was for both. But who are those ones that you can trust as faithful men and women around you to begin to pastor this city together? Who are the ones that are willing? Who are the ones from there that can find some other men and women who are faithful to carry on the work and the mandate and the mission of Jesus? Because Jesus' last command, that great commission, was that we would go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Nobody was left out from that commission. It wasn't just for the paid staff. It was for every single person. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptize them with the knowledge and the identity of their heavenly Father. Baptize them, immerse them in the teachings of Jesus, the, the teachings of the kingdom, the, the grace of Jesus, the, the finished work of, of his shed blood. What does that mean for us? And then also introduce them, baptize them to the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. Teach them who they are. Teach them what they've been given as a gift of the Holy Spirit to, to go and do great things on the earth in the power of God. And teaching them to observe all the things that Jesus had taught them. All those teachings, all the parables, how to minister to the sick, how to raise the dead. Teach them all those things. And then there's a promise, and I am going to be with you to the end of the age. We never do this alone, guys. We never are alone. Praise God. You see, each of us have been given a commission because God surely wants to bless us and multiply us. Yeah. As Kate was, you know, sharing this with me uh, while she was preparing we just decided together, uh, she asked me if I would take this and, and wrap it up um, this morning. And I think that um, this word that the writer of Hebrews reminds us was spoken over Abraham. I will bless you and multiply you. We as Americans have taken hold of the, yes, please, God, bless me. But what we haven't taken hold of that Kate's been so brilliantly opening up to us is this realization, and multiply me. And multiply me. And the thing about multiplication is it doesn't happen unless you lay your life down. And so there's this aspect that's so easy to forget. We say, oh, Abraham was so blessed. But we forget that the Lord said, I bless you to be a blessing. We're like, oh, Father, I want your love. Baptize me in your liquid golden honey love. And he does. 
But he doesn't just want to do it to bless us. He wants to multiply us. He wants to make us, as conduits of the Father's love, amazing baptizers of others in his love. But for that to happen, we have to be willing to lay our lives down. And, you know, we were talking and saying, well, how, how easy this is for us. By the grace of God, we've been taught so well by John and Carol the importance of actually having intentionality within the life of the church to help us all, to help all y'all, to help each of us take what the, the kind of the thing, the exhortation that Kate's given to us this morning and actually narrowing it down to say, how do I apply this in my life? And that's why we have, uh, from the beginning, had Ignite Groups. Why? Because Ignite Groups become the context, a context for you to not only be blessed, but to be a blessing. A context for you to be multiplied by somebody else spiritually, to multiply you so that you become their fruit as you attend their Ignite group. But then also to train you, to provide a, a means by which you can be intentionally trained. Not a comprehensive training, but like Kate said, just enough to get you, like Kate and I feel very often, just one step ahead of those that we're discipling and that we're called to. And we call that leaders on fire. And we have, you know, Jonathan and Hendria, our pastors of Connection, have just done an absolutely brilliant job of, of developing our leaders on fire training to train you for whoever will. And that's the thing about this, everybody. It's really whosoever will. Nobody has to step in and say, okay, God, multiply me. God's looking for those who just say yes. And for us in the church, we're unashamed about saying, you know what, we think that actually if we could provide you with a little bit of training through something like Leaders on Fire, we could excite you about the idea of you not just attending an Ignite group, but actually leading an Ignite group. Because if you lead an Ignite group, you've now got so much more opportunity to reach 50, 60 people. We have some Ignite groups in this room, Jonathan told me, that have up to 30, 40 people in them. In this room. Maybe the person sitting right next to you every Sunday is the person who's actually right now leading 30 or 40 people in this church. They're not sitting up on the front row. They're sitting in the crowd. And they're having the most amazing fulfilled life with probably having to sort out quite a few problems here and there from time to time. But having an amazing time being fruitful in actually taking this serious. God... Bless me, yes, but multiply me as well. And they're multiplying themselves. And that could be you. That could be you next. You could be the one who says, okay, I'm going to go along to an Ignite group for a season. And I'm going to go along to Leaders on Fire. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to go to that faithfully with a view to becoming an Ignite group leader. And there might just be three or four people, no more than that, who come at first. And they're like... <laughs> Don't consider to some people who have 30 or 40. I've got three or four. And, and trust me, I've had that. I remember when John Arnott said to me, and I'm a, I was a, the executive director in the church in Toronto. I had 160 staff in my leadership influence. And John, he told us all as pastors, I want you to start your Ignite group. 
And uh, so off we go. We start our Ignite groups. And Kate and I started ours. And it was great. At first, there was like 20 people who showed up when we just went around on the Sunday morning saying, hey, would you like to come to our Ignite? Hey, would you like to come to our Ignite? Hey, are you, do you have a pulse? Yes, good. Okay, would you like to come to our Ignite group? I mean, we just went for it. And, and you know, it was fantastic. The first week, John's like, so how did your Ignite group go, everybody? Each of the pastors told, they got to me, yeah, we had about 20 people in ours. Oh, well done, Duncan. That's fantastic. Well, the next week came along and there was about five And my first thought was, oh no, John's going to ask me tomorrow how many came, how the mighty have fallen. And sure enough, the next day I'm like, yeah, there's a fight. The following week, there was one. One person came. John Patel, still a dear friend to this day. I thank God with all my heart for him. And John was the only one who came. And and you know what happened? We died. The two of us literally died in Christ Jesus over again. In case you hadn't noticed, it happens over and over again in your walk with God. You keep saying yes to God and he keeps bringing you through Gethsemane and then through the cross and then through resurrection again. Amen? Chris is like holding his hand. He knows what I mean. And so we died. But you know, there's something about that moment when only one shows up that makes you realize your Ignite group's not going to be successful because you're a dynamic personality. I mean, I thought I was going to just be an amazing success. I mean, just look at me. No, 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 no. In the kingdom of heaven, it's not about your personality so much. It's not about your giftings in the natural. It's all about what what Kate was saying. It's about Jesus in us. It's about Christ in us. And that night after one, we just lay prostrate before God and we said, Oh God, with all of our hearts, we died. We hand over this whole Ignite group to you. God, would you take it over now? Would you begin to start to multiply it? And you know what? The blessings of Abraham and the multiplication of Abraham, that anointing came upon us. And the Lord reminded us. I remember when there was an Argentinian pastor of a church of 250,000 people laid hands on Kate and I when we were in our early 20s and released the anointing of multiplication. I thought, this is it. I'm going to have a church of 100,000 people. Well, it never happened quite like that. I got invited continually on a journey with Jesus to keep dying, keep dying, keep dying so he could raise me, raise me, raise me. And God wants to do that in each of your lives. It will cost you everything and then you'll realize all of that everything was nothing compared to the surpassing glory of seeing the greatness of Jesus in the lives of those all around you that you know you've laid your lives down and seen Jesus be be multiplied in those around you. Amen? Amen. Well, we want to release on you this morning the anointing of multiplication. I want to tell you that discipling others does not happen accidentally overly well. You have to be intentional, everybody. Just like Jesus was. You have to be intentional. You have to be willing to look at somebody And you might not say to them, hey, come follow me, I'll make you into a fisher of men. Just might not work quite so well in your culture, our culture. But you can 
you can say to the person that you keep sitting next to, that's around you in your sphere, even on a Sunday, use Sunday mornings as a great head start and just make a decision in your heart. Hey, you know what? I'm going to get to know the people around me. I see them every Sunday. I'm going to actually behave as though, God, you can use me to pastor and disciple these people. I don't need the title. I don't need to walk around big-headed that that's what I'm doing. I'm just going to humbly serve them. I'm going to invite them to my home. Wow! You're going to have some people discover how nice your dining room actually is. Kate and I were amazed when we first got to America. And we went around looking in these houses, these homes that we were going to look at, we were thinking of looking to buy. And the real estate agent, we said to them, we said to her, wow, the dining rooms look so posh. She's like, oh yeah, but nobody ever comes and eats at home. Everybody eats out. Well, you know what? And catch the fire, let's discover what each other's dining rooms look like. Let's actually start laying our lives down to each other and inviting each other to our homes and inviting each other to a cookout and a grill and, and get our deck, just get our deck filled with a bunch of people that we go to church with. Hello? And that will start a revolution in and of itself. And out of that, it won't be long before you start including your neighbors and your friends and your colleagues at work because you're growing confidence. Amen? Come on, let's stand, everybody. Let's stand. We're giving you a commission this morning, but we're also giving you an invitation to receive an anointing for multiplication. And before... Before Kate and I invite you to come up to receive that anointing and multiplication for those who desire it, we don't want to move on on any Sunday without giving an opportunity for those of you that have arrived, that are here, to give your lives to Jesus Christ, to make him your Lord and Savior. And if that's you and you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, it's a very, very simple process. It's as simple as humbling your heart and praying a prayer, even if it's in your own heart today. And I'm going to lead you through that prayer. And if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, or you're, you know that you need to get right with God, I want you to make this your prayer in your heart this morning. Amen? Let's pray together. Just pray this in your heart, if you want to give your life to Jesus this morning. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. The truth is, I know that I've really messed my life up in lots of different ways. And I have this debt of, of sin that I can never, ever pay. And I thank you with all my heart that you gave your son Jesus to pay that debt for me on the cross, like Kate was saying. And today, I humble my heart before you. I open my heart to you, Lord Jesus. I make you my Lord and Savior. Please come into my heart. Thank you that you've forgiven me for all of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you rose again from the dead and that you're alive. And I open my heart to you. Come into my life. Be my champion, Lord, and Savior. I step out of the way. I take my hands off the steering wheel of my life. And I hand my life fully over to you. Lord, I'll follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning with me, we believe that you're born again, born of the Spirit. And we'd encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, make sure you tell somebody before today's over that you prayed that prayer and you gave your life to Jesus. Number two, 
Find a Bible-believing church and make it your home. And number three, make sure that Bible-believing church is filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. All right, now for those of you who... How many of you in this room would love to receive that anointing of multiplication where the seeds of the Word of God in your heart would just begin to start to explode and that the blessings of Abraham, not just a blessing, but multiplication would come upon you. If you've raised your hand this morning, I'd like to invite you to come right out here to the front and just come and fill this whole area up. There's an anointing on this message. And I'm going to ask Kate, I'm going to hand over to Kate to... And, and I'll follow up as well, but we just keep, keep, keep coming relatively quickly, everybody. If you're in the front of the line, come quickly, make room, press right up to the front. There's no, there's no sort of weird area that you're not allowed to be in. And, you know, if you do feel like you're going to fall over at all, as some do, you know, just kneel down, whatever, as we pray. But folks, we want to give you this anointing of multiplication. We want you to multiply. We want you to be multiplied. We want the whole world to be filled with loads of you. This city of Durham and the cities of Raleigh next door and Chapel Hill next door will be a way better place if there's five or six or ten or twelve yous. You, each of you, because you're pouring into them. Amen? All right. Okay, everybody, let's reach up our hands. I'm going to ask Kate to give you that anointing. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you right now for your promise and your word to us that you will surely bless us and you will multiply us. So, Holy Spirit, come and fill every person that has a heart to receive an anointing to multiply not only who they are, but what you've given them, Lord. Yes, right now, by faith, begin to receive that anointing. Yes, that you. anointing that has been transferred to us through many people yes, but is going to work in your life as you say yes and you partner with the Holy Spirit. Yes. So come, Holy Spirit, every heart, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Every person, Lord. Thank you.